Good morning, everyone. A happy Resurrection Sunday to you all. What a blessing to get to sing praises to our great Savior and King, Jesus Christ. Ah, yeah, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word and for your power and your goodness and for the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and all that that means. And I pray we'd take that in, that we'd take it to heart and recognize what you've accomplished through that death on Calvary, how Jesus atoned for the sins of the world and how by believing in him, we have eternal life through his name. And thank you for the joy. Thank you for the celebration that we have daily because of what Jesus has done. And Lord, you deserve all glory, honor, and praise. And we behold you, we worship you, and thank you for all, all that you've done and all that you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Easter, a national holiday. We have associations with it like egg hunts or going to church or special meals, maybe travel. And uh, we know that over the past few years with COVID, or a couple years, feels like maybe a decade, um, we had plans, but things didn't go according to plan, right? There's been like weddings that were moved indoors because of rain or people had to move out of their house because it was inundated with floodwaters or there's been unexpected circumstances that have dashed our expectations of what we thought a day was going to hold. We looked forward to a celebration and instead there was something sorrowful. And sometimes we have disappointment that's hard to shake. The disciples of Jesus, they weren't strangers to such things. They had gone up to Jerusalem. They were so excited to celebrate the Passover, to remember how God had led them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and how he brought them through the Red Sea, delivered them from their enemies, and, and how he spared the firstborn when the Spirit of God passed over the blood that was put on the posts of the doors. And it was a festive time. It was a time that gathered the people together. It, it really unified them as a nation and as a people that they were God's people and they worshiped the true God. And they looked forward to it. It was like a massive celebration, like a family and a national reunion. And then Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and people are just shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And they're praising God. And the disciples are like, wow, this is awesome. Jesus is getting the recognition he deserves as king. As they're crying out, save, God save. But that euphoria, that excitement, it turned to devastation. When Jesus was betrayed by his own disciple, when he was brought before the Jewish, Jewish religious leaders who condemned him to death. Then he was sent to Pilate and he was crucified. He died and was buried in a tomb. And it seemed like a Passover that be, would be remembered for all the wrong reasons. They went in with these high hopes, amazing things happened, but then terrible thing happened. Maybe you've never gone from a high like that to a low like that, where they were celebrating with the people the arrival of Jesus, and then they're hiding behind locked doors for fear of the Jews, and their master is gone. They had these grand aspirations of being great in the kingdom of Christ, that they would be uh, ruling and reigning with him. And then Jesus faced this humiliating death. The goals and the plans of the disciples had been shattered, but what they didn't know is that God's purposes and plans were far greater, far more redemptive Death had been swallowed up in victory. 
Their dreams were dashed, but something greater than they could have imagined was happening. As the angel rolled the stone away to show that the tomb was empty, that Jesus was risen. So they're sad, but you have the empty tomb. You have those grave clothes lying there with the head covering folded by itself. The appearance of angelic messengers. They had all this evidence that Jesus is alive and he appeared to people like Mary Magdalene. Jesus said, go to the disciples and tell them, I am risen and I will see them in Galilee. Peter and John, they run to the tomb and they find it empty, but they didn't see Jesus. So why don't you please turn to Luke 24 verse 33. And I'll just give a little background on the subject. So the gospel of Luke, it tells us of these two disciples, they were sadly departing from Jerusalem. So they had gone to the Passover feast, but they left probably early because of what had happened. We don't know, but they were leaving um, for Emmaus on foot. And it's about 11 Ks away, Emmaus from Jerusalem. And one of these people we know is Cleopas. And their eyes were restrained when this traveler came up and met them on the way. Who was Jesus? They didn't realize that it was the risen Lord. So these are disciples of Jesus who knew during Jesus' ministry, he had done all these miracles and yet they ruled out a miraculous resurrection and unbelief blinded them to the reality of a risen Lord and Savior who's literally standing with them and talking with them but they don't recognize that it's Jesus. Jesus goes through the scripture. He said, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter his glory. And it says he opened the scriptures to them. He expounded on them all the things concerning himself. And as they reached Emmaus, which was the destination of Cleopas and his companion, they restrained Jesus, not knowing it was him. They said, Hey, stay with us. It's getting late in the day. Please abide with us. And so he said, okay, They sit down to eat. Jesus takes bread. He blesses it. He breaks it. He gives it to them. And at that moment, their eyes are open to realize this is Jesus. He's alive. And then Jesus vanished from their sight. And so they were like, didn't our hearts burn together when he opened the scriptures to us on the road? We have to go back. We have to tell the other disciples that Jesus is alive, confirmed It's like their smoldering faith was reignited by seeing Jesus and hearing him open the Bible to them. And they realized, wow, this is what was supposed to happen. It wasn't what we expected, but this is so much better than what we expected. And what a blessing it is to have unity in Christ and fellowship of those burning hearts. You know, the hearts that are burning when God opens the scriptures and say, that's true. That's real. He is alive. And on this Resurrection Sunday, we are blessed to gather with Jesus in our midst. So let's pick up our passage in Luke 24, starting in verse 33. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 and those who were gathered, who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, peace to you. So their eyes are opened on the road. Uh, It's Jesus, not on the road, but as they were, Jesus is breaking the bread and handing it to them. And it's a great picture because Jesus is the living bread that came down from heaven. And whoever believes in him will have eternal life through receiving him through faith. It's like by receiving that bread, 
Their eyes were open to see him. They realized it was him. And they were heading to Emmaus sad. And I bet if someone had been out on the road at that late hour, they'd have wondered why. Why are you guys so glad? Why are you so excited to make that long trip back to Jerusalem? Well, because Jesus is alive. We have seen him. The word has been confirmed. And as they're, they had gone away sad, but now they're all excited. And they're talking to the Jews, the uh, disciples that were behind closed doors. And they're still not buying it. They're gloomy. They're not believing that Jesus is risen. And they're trying to convince them. They're saying, this man met us on the road. He said, oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And then he opened the scriptures to us and he, he was made known to us. We know it was him. And while they're talking, it's like Jesus just interrupts by showing up. And he says, peace to you. Right in the midst Jesus was risen from the dead, but the disciples needed convincing. They didn't all believe, did they? And these were the apostles. They weren't just like casual Christians. They were people who left their livelihoods and left their families to follow Jesus, believing he was the Christ, believing he was the Messiah. But they didn't believe, even with the empty tomb, even with Mary Magdalene, even with Cleopas and his friend, and Simon, they didn't believe that Jesus was risen. The stubborn unbelief of the audience wasn't the fault of the two messengers who came excited about the truth of Jesus' life. It didn't mean that they weren't the ones to deliver the message or they should have left the message to others or they had watered it down or they were failures and they didn't need to second guess themselves or feel guilty because the listeners refused to believe. They could still rejoice in the reality of that risen Lord Jesus Christ. And I take great comfort in the fact Jesus shows up right then when the believers weren't believing, when the disciples were doubting, Jesus stands there and offers peace to them. It just shows God's will that people would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that even those who do not believe, he will come to them. He will show himself faithful to them, that he is alive, that he is real. And those disciples, when they went back to Jerusalem, they did so according to reality. That was the reality, even though others didn't believe. That's an encouragement to me. Let's not lose heart because there's people who do not believe in Christ. But Jesus, he's able to reveal himself to others through us and without us, like despite us. And uh, he wants to make himself known so that they will know him. He's faithful. Continuing in verse 37. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Handle me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. And he took it and ate in their presence. There was not a disciple in that room who had been in that locked room who said, I knew it. I told you so. When Jesus is standing there, like I knew, I knew he was alive. No, they were still doubting. They, did, they were just terrified of seeing this being appear in the room in the midst. But it was Christ. And he makes a connection between Troubled feelings and doubts in their heart. Why are you troubled? 
Why are doubts arising in your heart? Had they believed that Jesus was alive, they wouldn't have suspected that it was a ghost or an apparition of some sort. They were troubled and afraid because they didn't believe. They didn't believe what the Bible had said. The Bible had spoken many times about the suffering of the Savior and that he must uh, rise from the dead. And Jesus showed that. So it's good for us to realize when we are troubled, it's often because of doubts, unbelief in the Lord. And I'm convinced that unbelief in the church is as big a problem as unbelief outside the church. In fact, it may even be a bigger problem because we may not recognize his existence. We don't notice it in ourselves because we believe, right? We know that Jesus rose from the dead. We believe he's alive, but are we believing that he's alive now? Do we believe he is with us, that he won't leave or forsake us? And we're the ones who claim to walk in the truth, right? And so we must deal with our own unbelief when it shows itself in trouble, in doubts arising in our hearts. We're made of the same cowardly, fearful, easily troubled flesh that marked the believers in that room for fear of the Jews hiding behind those locked doors. Now, the fact that they were reluctant to believe that Jesus was risen from the dead, that's good evidence to say he had, ris- he had raised from the dead because they couldn't believe it, right? They had seen him marred. They had seen him beaten and crucified and taken off the cross and buried in a tomb. And there was no hope. They held out no hope that, oh, he's maybe just a bit tired or a bit weary. No, he was, he was gone. They knew he wasn't there anymore. And in the history of the world had never a person who had been executed by crucifixion been able to show healed wounds, just the marks of the nails. These weren't um, bloody anymore. He, he was whole. He was well. He was glorified but with a body of flesh and bone where they touched him and he felt like a person because he is a person. Jesus also ate with them. He ate honeycomb and broiled fish. These are things people would have carried as a snack. Peter later affirmed that this was very convincing to them in Acts 10, 39 through 41. He said, and we are witnesses of all things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. So he says, we're witnesses of everything that he did. And what did Jesus do? Well, he turned water into wine. He opened the eyes of people born blind. He opened the, eye, the ears of those born deaf. He healed the lame. He caused paralytics to walk. He cast out demons. He walked on the water. He raised the dead to life. He did all these things. And then he also raised himself. He rose from the dead and appeared openly, not to everyone, but to many people and 500 at one time. Now notice Luke 24, 41. It says Jesus ate with them because they did not believe for joy. Joy, it just seemed too good to be true. It was such a great turn of events that joy hindered their faith. There are examples of this in the Bible. Think of Jacob. He had sent his son Joseph to go meet his brothers. And when his brothers brought back a coat of many colors that was 
covered in blood, he, he assumed the worst. They said, is this your son's coat? We're not really sure. Of course, they knew because they tampered with it when they had sold him to slavery. But so his dad assumed he was dead and he mourned him for over a decade. And then when he heard word that Joseph wasn't dead, he was actually alive and second in command in Egypt. It says he fainted. And then he, he came to himself and just said, whoa. And it was, it was seeing the, the carts that they had brought from Egypt loaded up with the treasures of Egypt. And he's like, you know, my son lives. I'm going to go see him. But he didn't believe at the beginning because it was such good news. It seemed too good to be true. How about when Peter, he is imprisoned. He's awaiting execution. And an angel strikes him on the side. The bonds fall off his hands. And he thinks he's having a vision. He's walking through the jail. He's leaving the prison. And he's now arrived at the home of believers who are praying for him. And he realizes, oh, that wasn't a vision. That was real. And here I am. And he knocks on the door. And the servant girl, Rhoda, comes to the door. And she sees him and shuts the door and runs inside. Peter's here. They're like, no, he's not. It's his angel. You're seeing things. And it was Peter, all right. He's like, you know, let me in. So he's knocking on the door and they're astonished to see him. Now they were praying that he would be released from prison, but it happened in a most unexpected way that they hadn't counted on. I don't know what they were thinking, but they said, you know, Lord, save him, release him. And there he is. And they can't believe it. That's actually him. He's, he's here. Friends, let me remind you that God does miracles that we don't even think to pray for. He does things beyond our imagination. And if you can imagine it, well, then it's a dream that's below God. His ways are past finding out. He's able to do things that are marvelous and miraculous. He created all things. He knows all things. And a living Jesus is not too good to be true. He is good and he is the way, the truth and the life. And the truth is really good that we have a hope in Christ that's beyond this world. If he had died on the cross and remained so, it would not be good and he would not be true. He promised to die and to rise again, and he has. Luke 24, 44. Then he said to them, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of the Moses and the prophets and Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus opened the scriptures to them, and now it says he opened their understanding. So that they could receive, they could comprehend what the law of Moses, what the prophets and the Psalms said concerning him. And it was necessary to be fulfilled. It was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to die and to rise the third day. Remember my mom telling me when I was born, I was the first of three. And she said, you know, when you were born, you're just so perfect. That's a mother's love for you. And she's like, no harm is going to come to you. I'm going to protect this baby. You know, no scrapes and bruises. I'm just going to make sure this little life is taken care of. And suffering was a great evil to be avoided. Yet God sent his own son knowing he would die, knowing he would be betrayed, knowing he would suffer because of the joy 
of bringing souls into the kingdom, that people would be redeemed from sin and from death, that we don't need to fear death uh, because Jesus has died in our place. This grand design to redeem and save lost sinners. And then he said, it was necessary Jesus would suffer, die and rise from the dead. So repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. The death and resurrection of Jesus, it means that the power of sin that causes death is broken. That we now have forgiveness and cleansing made possible through faith in him. That's the gospel. We have it unveiled to all people that we can turn from sin today. We can be washed clean of all iniquity. That he has paid the price and taken the punishment we deserved. And the law that once condemned us is now nailed to the cross. Death has been killed. And we have new life through faith in him. Not just to be enjoyed someday when we leave these, this world and these bodies. But to be enjoyed now in the presence of our Lord. Who has sent the Holy Spirit to fill us. And we, we can be born again. We can have eternal life. We can have fellowship with God. And that's what God has done by his grace. God has provided the atonement. He has paid it all. And in receiving him, we know that it is so. Jesus is the king of kings and the high priest who absolved all our guilt by his sacrifice. I mean, what peace and joy is ours when God opens the scriptures to us and then he opens our understanding so that we can comprehend them. We can actually lay them to heart. Verse 49, behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. Jesus suffered, died and rose again. And he also said, I will send the promise of the father, the filling of the Holy Spirit to his disciples. And he told them previously, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will send the spirit to help you, to comfort you, and to teach you of all the things that I've said. Now, looking at the other gospels in the book of Acts, um, verse 49 is kind of the end of that conversation. And verse 50 is 40 days later when he ascended. And uh, so at over 500 people at one time saw Jesus when he ascended. No one actually saw him rise from the tomb. It wasn't like the stone needed to be rolled away so Jesus could rise. No, he rose and he was not there when the, the tomb was open. But when Jesus ascended to the Father, he had many witnesses that saw that. And Luke described what happened in Acts 1, 9 through 11. Now, if you can just put yourself there. Say you're having a conversation with someone and they just suddenly just like lift off the ground and go into the clouds. It's pretty remarkable. Acts 1, 9. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. When Jesus appeared on Resurrection Sunday to his disciples, they were filled with fear. They had doubts. 
But after they saw Jesus, they talked with him, they touched him, they ate with him. He ministered to them. They were filled with amazement and joy. And they were joyful to see him ascend to the father. They hadn't lost Jesus because his ascension showed they had proof of his life, that they had immortality, that he would make intercession for them and that he was coming back. And they lived with that knowledge. And you see the response in the disciples, right? They worshiped him. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They weren't afraid anymore. They weren't worried anymore about what was going to happen to them. It says they were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. They had received him as savior. They received his blessing. It said he was, he raised his hands and he was blessing them. It's an interesting thing under the law that, that the, the high priest really didn't bless. It was the high priest conferring God's blessing. So it wasn't the priest's blessing. It was God's blessing. Um, and it's like having received the blessing of Christ, they blessed God. You see how that's written there? Where it said he blessed them and then they blessed God. So he was the source of the blessing they could be towards him and others. And there's this beautiful correlation with the Jewish high priest who blessed the people according to God's command. And I want you to turn there, please. Leviticus 9, starting in verse 22. So in the Old Testament, Leviticus 9, verse 22. Now this was commanded uh, that the high priest should bless the people in a, say certain words and in a certain way. And it's pretty amazing that this was like when the temple worship or the tabernacle worship had just begun. So God gave people his laws. There, there had to be the donation of the goods. So they have all the goods to make the tabernacle. They build it. They make the vessels of service like the laver and the showbread table. They've sewn the garments together. They've, they've cut all the gems that would go into the breastplate of the ephod. They've lit the lamps. They've baked the bread. They've made that sweet incense They've sanctified Aaron and his sons. They've atoned for the sins of the people. So there's a lot that's happened before this. But this is what happens here in Leviticus 9.22. Then Aaron, the high priest, lifted his hand towards the people, blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Moses and Aaron, they blessed the people. Fire comes down from heaven to show that he had received their sacrifice, that all this preparation and obedience to his word had been received by God. And the people just, they fell down before him in worship. And you see Jesus, the great high priest now raising his hands and blessing the people. Suddenly he's carried into heaven, accepted by God as the author and finisher of our faith. The sacrifice on Calvary, it was sufficient once and for all for, you see all the sacrifices, the sin offering, the burnt offering, the peace offering, all of that is fulfilled in Christ alone. Once for all, not day by day, year by year. No, all at once, acceptable through Christ. We are now 
the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. We are so blessed to be the redeemed children of God. Like flowers that turn towards the sun, may we lift our eyes to him, looking to him. Jesus appeared to his disciples. He said, peace to you. And he says the same to you today. He offers peace. He is the prince of peace. And in Christ, we see the ironic blessing of Numbers 6, 24 through 26 fulfilled. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He looks upon you with love. And because Jesus lives, we receive, we walk, and we rejoice in his blessing always. And we can be a blessing to him and to others. Let's praise him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus to be our Savior. Thank you for all that he accomplished and for the many proofs that you have of his resurrection. The empty tomb, the changed lives, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Christ's ascension into the heavens. Thank you so much for paying our debt of sin, for fulfilling scripture, for proving that you are who you say you were, the Son of God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, our great high priest. Thank you for his intercession. Thank you for his life and that we live through him. And Lord, I pray that you would put in us the great joy and praise and worship that we see in the disciples after your ascension, that they were always, we, they go from being in a locked room to being in the temple, praising and blessing your holy name. Lord, may we look to you now with praise and adoration, giving honor and glory to you, not just on Easter Sunday, but every day, because you are our life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.